I think I'm having an art attack. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Art Attack with your hosts, Lizzie Dastan and Just- Justin Bois. Justin Bois. And uh, Lizzie is a art historian professor. I am an artist professor. And the professorness of it all leads us to talk about really classical subjects like. Rodin and Picasso. If you guys haven't heard that one, you better go back. And sometimes we just go off the beaten path and we talk about street art, which is uh, probably the longest lasting art historical movement in the history of art, right? I mean, if you think about that, if you think about graffiti and street art, and we're just going to, we're going to, and, and a lot of graffiti artists out there are going to cringe when I say this, but we're going to package them together. And I'm going to say that street art, Graffiti art, that movement has lasted longer than neoclassicism, than fauvism, than dadaism, than pointillism, than impressionism, than any other artistic movement in the history of the world. Am I wrong about that? Those are fighting words. Yeah, I don't actually think you're wrong, and I don't think that it's inappropriate to lump graffiti with street art, because street art is really a tributary of graffiti. Everything started with graffiti, and if we really tease back what graffiti is, then certainly it started in the 1960s with cornbread, as you and I talked about, but maybe it was even earlier. I always teach it as starting really in about 1917 with the Russian Revolution, because that was the first time that I've encountered when people use the streets to politicize their message. and to activate in order to create a more democratic audience because art in a rarefied space like a museum or a gallery is just so precious and elitist and it requires a lot of financial access. But the street, everybody walks on the street. And so for me, that started to become a prominent theme in the early 20th century. So sure, if we see street art as even going back further than the 1960s in Philly, then it is an incredibly longstanding tradition and very dynamic and constantly changing, but really still still very, very present. Yeah, there's a lot of graffiti writers who would cringe at that. Like I said, obviously they would disagree because they feel they feel like graffiti is the real act of, you know, not not just vandalism and not just about getting up and going all city, but taking back and co-opting public space. As we're street artists, you know, anybody could be a street artist. Not anybody can be like a renegade, you know, guy, guy or girl going against the grain of civilization and the culture. I mean, I feel like that's what graffiti, they're like pirates, you know what I mean? They're renegades, they're mercenaries. As we're street artists, you could, you know, you could be a wealthy kid from Beverly Hills and be a street artist and get some wall that was given to you as opposed to a graffiti writer. Usually, in my opinion, it was a class classist thing. You know what I mean? Way back in the days, it, it had a lot to do with where you were from. When I came up in New York City with all my friends, you know, there wasn't a lot of graph writers who were wealthy. I mean, a lot of those kids really were, you know, broke kids from the street or middle class kids from the street. But anyway, 
I don't want to digress from my I digression. Say, I would yes. just want to comment on one digress thing about the digression you so from your digression. I think it is tricky to discuss the differences and to disentangle street art versus graffiti, but that we need to not speak in superlatives because there are street artists too who work mm-hmm. renegade, who completely risk Absolutely. their bodily safety, who don't come from economic means. Mm-hmm. And so it's not just privileged artists or mm-hmm. street artists and people who don't have that kind of access mm-hmm. or graffiti writers. I think it's a whole complex constellation Absolutely. of what defines the differences. So today we're going to talk. But, but, and on that note, one, <laughs> on if that I, digression. In, in that digression, <laughs> let me digress further into it, into a complete bizarre digression. But I will say this, and we can agree on this point that graffiti was the initial movement and that effloresced or metamorphosized into street art. We can say that, right? Absolutely. That okay. is a fact. And not the other way around. No, street art emerged from graffiti exactly. and is only possible because of graffiti. That's all I was saying. That's all I'm saying. So today we're talking about swoon. <laughs> swoon. 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 I'm so excited. And who knows how she might be identified. Perhaps her roots were more graffiti energized and then perhaps she's parlayed her practice into street art, public installation. And so I think she's difficult to really compartmentalize. I, I mean, really, because I feel like once again, graffiti is the language of words and the rhythms and energy that was echoing, you know, the movements of, of popping and breaking and b-boying and just the harsh kind of break, the break beats of the culture, as opposed to the language of murals. I think Swoon is definitely in the street art community. Yeah, she's I not see a that. she's not a writer. You know what I mean? She's not like a, a a graffiti writer. When I came up in New York back in the days, I was writing graffiti. I was trying to, you know, hit the ones, the twos. I was trying to go all city, but I was also an artist in my black books. You know what I mean? So I feel like I feel like she's the, you know, she's a legitimate street artist. She definitely is. And not all graffiti writers operate with language. Some will use characters. And some street artists will rely on language. So it is incredibly slippery. And for me, the differences come down to intent. And I think that the way that I define street art versus graffiti, Swoon's intention is better aligned with street art. So I would agree with you on that, but not just because she doesn't really use language. So she started out working in an anonymous fashion. And she was trained in art school. She was trained as a painter, went to Pratt, And she felt limited by the confines of art within that traditionalist mindset. And so she thought, I really want to make a difference in a more democratic way and to explore and expand my use of context and space. And so she thought, well, how can this wall that is kind of ugly and gray and dilapidated, how can that be changed or improved upon? And so she would put up a wheat paste based on a photograph, and then she translated that photograph into a drawing and put it up in the public space and then literally changed that wall. And so that for her was her initial contact with the street coming from art school. So I sort of see that collision of both worlds as akin to a Keith Haring, somebody Mm -hmm. who was traditionally trained, had all of that, those resources, and then chose to activate the streets because of his particular agenda. Yeah, I mean, traditional training is, you know, 
that's a that's a loose word. When we're talking about traditional training, I think about the Ecole de Beaux Arts, or not not to be a snob. I went to Art Center, but I feel like, you know what I mean? I feel like, no, it's true. Like, there was definitely a rigorous training there. I don't know what the training is at Pratt. But what I do like, because you're saying Keith Haring. Did Keith, like, I can't even imagine Keith Haring in a figure drawing class or, or like a life painting class. Such a weird thing. And you know me. I'm a fan of Keith Haring. But with Swoon, you know, I do like the fact that she is living in the world of drawing. She's living in the world of this kind of, German expressionistic Katie Colwitz energy. She's very much looks like she's doing woodcuts or pen and ink, which is cool because that to me is what separates her from the pack, right? She's doing stuff on the streets that's really looking like stuff that it could be in a gallery or a museum, right? So all of a sudden you're seeing the interaction of public space, but you're seeing this like woodcut. Or this like lithograph, because that's what it looks like. That's what she's doing, these wheat pastings, and it looks like a lithograph or a woodcut. And you're like, whoa, that is so unexpected to see that, because that's like fine art. The only thing that's not there is the frame, you know, and the trigger for when you pull it off the wall, and then the alarm system goes off. But you know what I'm saying? Like, the point is, it's crazy. So I don't think before Swoon, we've seen something that has that, German expressionistic uh, drawing heavy. There's a certain amount of draftsmanship. I love Swoon, no disrespect, but she's no Katie Colwitz in terms of draftsman, draftsperson. Katie Colwitz was was an absolute monster. She was a monster. She could draw very, very academically. And her gesture and her understanding of the human form and emotion was potent. So Swoon, to me, is much more stylized than that. You know what I mean? And she also does a whole... I mean, she's, her language is a completely different language. Um, but what she's doing, though, because she's taking that language and doing it, and it's looking like a woodcut or a lithograph, and, and, and doing it on the streets and interacting with public space in that capacity, that, to me, is what makes her different. And that's probably what, you know, why she is so successful, because you got a guy like you know, Jeffrey Deitch, and he could see something like that and go, ooh, I could take that and put that in the gallery world and make so much money, and all these people are like, oh, my God. Because it translates well. You know, some street artists and graffiti writers... They don't translate, you know? That's sad. It's sad that there's no way to take this person and translate them into the into the fine art world, but she does translate. And not everybody has to translate, and not everybody chooses to translate. Right, and but so then, I think but no, but I think a lot of, of people want to translate because they don't want to be broke. That's a hard, rough life, you know? Like, there's a reason why, you know, it's not just because... You know, she's a she's a white woman that she's translating. She's translating because I feel that it's relatable on a fine art level, right? I mean, am I wrong? Because there's a lot of people who I think are really good who've never made it in that world and just kind of get buried, and then they have to be a waiter or they have to, you know, be a janitor or whatever to pay the bills. Right, and I think what you said about her elevating the aesthetic of street art is really smart. And for me, that was my initial... Or that's why I was so enlivened by the work that she was doing because of the aesthetic allegiance that for me it has not only to German expressionism but to that specific subsect of Die Breuke. And De- Wait, Die Breuke, what is that? I was just about to. Okay. Like, Die Breuke, De Breuke, my German is not so great. Die but <laughs> It means the Fass bridge. Das is das. Das is the bridge. And... 
It comes from Nietzsche. And Nietzsche had this psychological idea that between the spaces of who we are Mm -hmm. and who we can be, there's Mm -hmm. a bridge of potentiality. And he thought that people were spiritually and emotionally vacant and Mm. needed to better connect with that bridge. Mm. And so these artists led by Kirshner, they formulated this group called Die Broika, which was honoring that, that psychological mindset. And for them, they were completely anti-establishment of what was happening in art. They were rebelling against that. They wanted to create an alternative experience that was embroiled in the natural world. They wanted to whittle down art into its essentials. And they believed in spending time in nature to better connect with your body. And it was very psychological, very mystical, almost engaging in somatic healing, although I'm not sure they would have languaged their project in that way. And I see a lot of similarities with Swoon's work, not only in the jagged lines and the aesthetic, but in her intention in creating it. Her work is really psychological, and she will use a portrait of somebody who's significant to her, and for me at least, her portraits and encountering them on the streets, it's a way to connect with that person who's rendered with yourself as you see that person as a mirror and also with the community around you, that there is just really something very deep about her style of portraiture that I see from this De Broica movement. That's interesting. I never really thought of it that way. And I didn't really even know what Debroika was. So I'm, I'm learning something all the time, ladies and gentlemen, especially with Lizzie Daston. The no, but that's a that's a really good point, and I could see that. And I wonder if Swoon, I wonder if you talking to you directly would agree with Lizzie, or would you be like sometimes when I hear someone talk about my work, I'm like, damn, I never heard of that before. But that sounds good. Yeah, I totally agree with you. That's amazing. That's what I did, you know, because what I like to do is what you said. No. You get an able articulate dialectician, talk about your work in that way, and you just have to ride it. You know what I mean? But yeah, I mean the 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 energy of what she's doing is visceral, you know, and it feels alive. And, you know, when you, when you, when you see her work, cause I've seen her work obviously in person as you have uh, on the streets and knowing that she's, you know, going out there bombing, just getting up and, and just getting dirty with it. There there's, it's fresh, you know what I mean? It feels, it feels super fresh. And there is a, there's a new fresh approach to, uh, that language of interactivity and co-option of space and making space kind of like fun and entertaining. Like there's an entertaining value to that. And then you take her work in that space and I love it. And then you take that work and I'm going to ask you, this is a question that I'm asking you. And then you take that work and you translate it uh, to the gallery world, right? Where it becomes much more, uh, plan. It's a premeditated exhibition, obviously. And the one big show that I saw, what was that show called? You know way more than I do. Well, she was in Jeffrey Deitch's Art in the Streets in 2011, right. and right. she also did an installation for this recent show in the summer, the uh, the Roger Gassman show. Is that what you meant? No, not the Roger Gassman, nor the... the she did a show in Brooklyn. That was it. It was the big the big installation show. And I know that I remember when that happened, it was a big deal. A lot of people, that was the one where they were carrying her and she was, you know, on the street 
And they, I mean, they they were just kind of it was like a mosh pit situation where she jumped into the crowd and they were carrying her everywhere. That installation was really cool, and I know she didn't really achieve what she really wanted to by that. That's how you it is, right? You have this idea, and you're like, this is going to be the greatest thing in the world in the history of the world. I can't believe how good it's going to be. And when it ends, it's like, yeah, it didn't really arrive, but it was better than, you know, better than anybody else had done it to this point. But but her three dimensionality of that show, where so many cutouts and so much interactivity it was really kind of like this magical mystery tour of a whole other scape and space is what i love about it when i I love those directors uh i say directors because you're really directing a whole scene right you're like a big production designer on a movie and she was able to really bring you into a world into her kind of her own language in a three-dimensional space where you have the stuff on the wall then you have this all origami cut out world that you're interacting with and to me that's so cool. You know what I mean? Like it just hit me how you could almost make a movie out of what she did, right? There could be a whole story around it. She could definitely be a production designer on, on, you know, a movie. It's, it's like Moulin Rouge, these movies that exist in this other space, a Tim Burton, any one of Tim Burton's movies, you know, uh, where, where things are living in this altered reality, I think she's able to, when she brings it to the gallery, she doesn't lose the language of the streets, She, but she's speaking a different language, in my opinion. Sure, it's different, but I think that it enhances her message because for me, every time that I've seen her work installed in a more traditional context, I feel like it's this nurturing, immersive place, mm. almost womb-like sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I love when the negative space of her cutouts they interact with shadows on the wall Mm -hmm. that I just feel like it is this dialectic of negative and positive space and almost an embrace of the void equally as an embrace of something that has a material presence. And I'm glad that you mentioned her three-dimensional works too, because I think that is very cool and disruptive and also psychologically complex. The one that I'm thinking about, she does these rafts made up from Mm -hmm. discarded materials, and you know I love a good upcycle. So I I think when found objects are used and repurposed that there can be something really interesting that emerges from that. And she will float, she will live on these rafts with people. It's a whole uh, cooperative. I think 35 people helped her with the one that she sailed on the Adriatic Sea, and then she ended up going into the Venice Biennale in the last couple of days with performances, and then there was there were poetry readings and all sorts of different things happening. It's like a hipster these... convention. <laughs> sort of, yeah. And I like that it is more holistic, that her work, to me, it activates lots of different things. It's about psychology. She talks a lot about trauma and about addiction and being compassionate. She tries to give back to the community whenever she can, and so I see all of these things coming together in the work that she's been doing recently. Great. Yeah. Can we talk about her name? Because this, I think, Swoon. is really fun. Right. Yeah, so- I don't even think that she likes her name. But see, when you're, a gra- when you're a graffiti writer or a street artist, like one of the things you need is a dope name, right? You definitely need a really dope name because cause. Everybody knows cause. Scene. Scheme. You know, Revolt. Bua, that's my, see, that's my God-given birthright name. Very rare do people use that. But like West, Surge, Flight, and then you got Swoon. I love Swoon. That's such a cool name. I know she doesn't, 
love it as much as her her real name, but I really love that name because to me, when I look at her work, sometimes you look at work and you're like, I don't see that. Like, I don't see that name attached to it. Just like when you meet people, you're like, how you doing? They're like, hey, how you doing? What's your name? Peter, Peter. You don't look like a Peter. You never tell that to strange people that you meet and then they tell you your name and then you're like, you don't look like that. No, that's so rude. Because I'm autistic <laughs> and I could do that because I'm just like, yo, what's, what, why is your, I feel like. I feel like I say that to people, and maybe I shouldn't. I should filter myself. But sometimes people don't look like their name. But to me, Swoon looks like Swoon. Yes. And just to clarify, I don't think that she dislikes Swoon. I just think that she sees Swoon as an idea that is separate than or larger than herself as an individual. So I think that when she is addressed by people, Mm -hmm. she likes to be addressed by her actual name. And then Swoon is this umbrella for a receptacle for her ideas. But for me, what I love, uh, do you disagree with that? You're looking. No, I was just thinking of, does Peter Parker like Peter Parker? Does he prefer Spider-Man? I was thinking like, (laughs) you know, Clark Kent, Superman. I don't know. Like it's, to me, it's, it's another identity that you give yourself when you are in the act of becoming the artist, because in a lot of ways, no matter what, people are perceiving you as that artist, right? Like, oh, oh, shit, that swoon, you know what I mean? People, and you almost have to be in that other identity to be able to even deal with that, because that's a lot. And somebody like swoon, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but to me, she feels very humble and very reverent, and she doesn't have kind of this monster ego. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm totally wrong, and may, I have n- never met her. But like from from what I've seen, she seems very down to earth, very humble, and it seems like maybe you need another identity to even be able to to handle the the energy of all of the adulation that you're getting. Yeah, I think that's really smart, and that we fetishize that other identity, that Superman mm-hmm. or whoever it is. And I think for me, the only likening that I can have is professor versus Lizzie. And professor is something that I do. It's an identity that I put on, but the authenticity of who I am is in the other. And so perhaps that is the same for her, that she just wants to create that space between who she is and what she does or what her ideas have become. But when I'm thinking about her colleagues, people that have come up at around the same time, maybe a little bit earlier, it's significant to note that The other names that I can think of, like risk, that is a very aggressive statement. It's about what you are potentially sacrificing for your art or revoke. What does that mean? To take away or who are the other, the big ones or even people who have their names and then an address like Taki183. That's part of his name and where he lived, that these are all external things. Mm -hmm. But to swoon, that is an emotional, psychological response to something that you find meaningful. And so I think that distinction between the outer body and the inner mind is a really interesting one. And perhaps you could also read it as more of a gendered one, since she is among the only female voices at this time and is often heralded as the female who is working in the space among these male contemporaries. But when I think of Saber versus Swoon, Saber is really aggressive. It's about... Uh, it's about penetration being about and contact a, like, and a phallus. And r- then Swoon is more of an experience. Saber's also about being like a very like out of his mind guy. You know what I mean? I love Saber. I think we should do an episode on him. I think his work is really I, fascinating. I like Saber's work, but he, he was crazy. I mean, like he, 
he accused me of when I was when I was doing my TV show Street Art Throwdown. He accused me for like working for the FBI, from being an informant for to try to entrap graffiti writers. Like, dude, you're well, that's what you were doing. <laughs> of course, <laughs> no, he was right. No, but that was like some deluded mindset. But anyway, uh, but I like his work. You know, I think he's a good artist. Like, it's that moment on uh, what was that? Get him to the Greek when Russell Brand's like. I hate you. When when Jonah Hill gives him his real opinion about what he thinks about his song African Child, he's like, I hate you, but I respect you. It's like, hate laid with respect. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but I don't hate anybody. But yeah, I agree. And at the same time, maybe you're really reading into this because perhaps she just kind of opened up a dictionary and just like, you know, pointed at something and it said swoon. And she was like, oh, I'll take that name. You know what I'm saying? Like we oftentimes overanalyze and give meaning to perhaps something that's not there. You should know this more than anybody because you're an art historian and you know in the canon of art history and Jansen and Gardner and all the books that have been written, that is not necessarily the truth or certainly the only truth. But that being said, I like where you're going with it. I agree with you. And uh, I also wanted to comment on one thing that you did say, which is, you know, her work does feel very effeminate. And it's interesting also when you see the streets, which are harsh, and, and you know, especially the concrete walls and the textures and the the environments, it's a very male energetic place. And, and it's per- certainly dominated by a male world. And then all of a sudden, her work is, you know, it's not a female doing male work, much like Lady Pink, in my opinion, she was painting with like past, a much more pastel palette, if we, if we can say that. Uh, you know, pinks and greens and blues, it's definitely color choices that a male necess- wouldn't be their first choice, right? It's not the, the obvious choice for a male artist to do that. Uh, then Swoon, she does it with subject matter. She does it with her characters. There is a maternal energy to it, much like there was with Katie Colwitz, and it was really all about you know mother and child. Uh, and and with Swoon, uh, you see that as well, even in her birds and the relationship of people and and their interactivity with the other characters in her work. There's kind of a feminine, complex feminine, deep understanding of the nature of of woman, and you don't see that on the street. And that's impressive. It is impressive. And I'm never quite sure how I feel about whether there's a feminized aesthetic. I just, I don't know yet. Sometimes I think there is. Sometimes I think that's really limiting. But I think with regards to Swoon's work, there is something that just feels incredibly sincere about her depictions of all of her figures. But the ones that I best respond to are the ones of motherhood or some sort of expression of being or what it might be like to walk on the world like a woman. And the one that I'm thinking of is a mother who's breastfeeding her child. And there is a long trajectory of rendering motherhood through paintings or through art. And we can go back to Mary Cassatt or Sally Mann. Birth Morisot. Birth Morisot, exactly. Just and maybe that's changed in the time of the Renaissance when predominantly male artists would depict the Virgin Mary in Christ, but that's a different kind of relational dynamic. But would we look at those works differently if they hadn't been created by a female-bodied individual? I just don't know. Do we see them as more truthful and authentic because we know 
the identity of the maker? Yeah, I, I, I think we do. And I think that Swoon, uh, not only is her subject matter uh, very feminine and the interactivity of her characters to me feel feminine, but I think there's a male energy in terms of the woodblockness of it all. Like it feels like it's a carved cut. I keep going back to Katie Colwitz because to me, like if I look at Swoon's work, I, you got to say, and Swoon, tell me if I'm crazy, but you definitely loved Katie Kowitz because to me, you draw a lot of similarities and inspiration from her work. But when I see Katie's work, there's a, there's a, a, a very male energy to the actual technical abilities of it. Like the way that she can, the way that she has such bold, uh, wood block cuts and bold lines that are kind of ripping through the, through the paper, uh, the way that she's forming shape with her cross hatching, that feels masculine, but her subject matter feels feminine. So it's a nice dichotomy of the masculine and the feminine. There's a beautiful yin yang of all of that, like power and chi, you know what I mean? And it just, it feels like it's, a, it's just a great, it's a great duality of those of those worlds, and I think she's she's able to somehow tap into both of those dimensions in her own in her own artistic achievements. I think that's really insightful, and was going back to the balance that I was talking about in her installation between the negative and the positive, and just the interlocking spaces of cutouts. And I think that is what I really connect with is just this sense of holistic somatic balance. And it's about the inside of your psychological state and what you struggle with if it's addiction and trying to tap into and develop compassion. And it's also about the exterior world of the public and about connecting with those that you see. And as you talk about this dialogue between masculine and feminine, that all of it exists within her practice. And I think that is why we, we love her and we respond to the work that she produces. So if you don't know Swoon, check her out. She's omnipresent. She's on Instagram, right? As Swoon, I'm assuming she's Swoon. Swoon HQ, I oh. think. Headquarters? Was Probably. that what that means? Okay. <laughs> so guys, if you don't know her, check her out. And also please, and I will tell everybody this, because we do this because we love it. We don't get paid all we ask from you is to spread the word and spread the love and tell your friends about the podcast if you love art. We just don't feel like there's enough great art talk out there. And Lizzie and I really, really put a lot of time and energy into this because we love art. So write us a review, whether it's on iTunes or wherever. I don't even know if you can. Can you write a review on Spotify? I don't think so. They just write a review wherever you can write a goddamn review. Give us a goddamn <laughs> review. Art Attack. Peace.